Does managing your religious trauma leave you feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, and alone? When we talked with Emily, another survivor, she said, I always feel like I'm not good enough. I judge myself very harshly and feel it in my chest like an ache. I feel tired, a general kind of depression, sadness, and disappointment. I wish I had more tools. As fellow religious trauma survivors, we've been there and we get it. In fact, that's why we created Beyond the Wound. Beyond the Wound is a virtual summit that helps survivors of religious trauma find the resources, freedom, and connection they seek. Our virtual summit has over 20 trusted thought leaders and licensed experts in the field of trauma and religious trauma. Come and learn how trauma affects your nervous system, gain practical tools for mind-heart-body healing, and learn how to trust yourself. Join us at your own pace between January 15th and February 5th, 2023, at our first annual Beyond the Wound Virtual Summit. Find support and tools to help you move with confidence beyond your wounds of religious trauma and into a life of freedom and safety. Go to beyondthewound.com to register and use code PODCAST20 for 20% off your ticket. We hope to see you there because no one should have to walk the path of healing alone. This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming. Uh, we're going to jump right into this. And this is our multi-episode series on religious trauma. And we were leaving you guys with kind of the idea of God being a big brother, right? I want to kind of let CA take this lead because this is a pretty decent example, but uh, God being a big brother, God knowing every single thought, God having an opinion on every single thought, having a judgment call on every single thought. And this is, this is complex guys. So this is, um, where we're going to start with this episode, please. If you have not listened to the previous episode, make sure you're doing that first. This entire episode is going to kind of throw you through a loop if we just jump right into it. So make sure you do your due diligence. Start with that episode the week prior and, you know, join us for this one in a little bit after you listen to that one. So why don't you take us, yeah. uh, take us off CA and we'll jump right into this one. Right. Okay. Because I think, yeah, where we had ended off on the last episode, we had kind of established this sense of the the two selves inside, right? Where there's like this one self of you that's just like the the authentic like resident <laughs> inside that is just trying to live life. And then there's this other self that is like actively being formed by these external systems. And in this case, we're talking about the way that religion influences the formation of that self. And when those two selves are coexisting inside of you in conflict, because this one side of you is like wanting to explore something or think about something or, or act on something. And is just like, that's just like a genuine part of that self's exploration and development. But then this other self is sitting there saying like, no, you can't do that. That's bad. That's wrong. And that is because of this notion of this all knowing, all ever watching God figure that's like 
constantly watching and monitoring everything, including even your own thoughts, to the point where you're not even like literally your own internal life, your just brain isn't even a safe place to just like chill and Cause relax. Because what, like, what happens if a thought comes up, CA? Like what happens if a thought that you didn't want there comes up? What do you do? Right? Like that's right. such a sad, yeah. yeah, it is. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, he heard me. He heard me think that thought. And then now you've got shame. <laughs> so I think like, again, leaving the theology part of it out, whether or not we want to agree if that's even like true that God is all knowing, like forget about the theology. Let's just talk about the, 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 the implications and the impact of what happens when you are living with that as your reality. And this is, this is getting into the next topic, which is, okay, so let, let's do, we're going to play out like a full on example so that it's easier yeah, to understand. So yeah. here's what happens. I'm, I'm like, I, I'm like a kid, I'm like 10 or 11 years old, whatever. And I, and I get really angry at my sister because she wore my favorite shirt to school and she didn't ask my permission. And all of a sudden I see her at school and, you know, she had hidden it under a jacket and I see her at school and she's literally wearing my favorite shirt and I'm filled with like rage in that moment because it's my shirt. She didn't ask for it. She literally snuck it to school and now we're in school. So like I have to you know, behave so I don't get in trouble from the teachers. And she knows that I'm like powerless and helpless. And and I'm just like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, there's nothing I can do to, to get that shirt back from her in this moment. So now I just have to sit here and watch her wear my shirt and I'm filled with rage. And I have developed in a religious system that says that like wrath, rage, anger, all of those things are sinful. And so now I just feel felt that feeling and thought that angry thought and immediately I'm now hit with that other self, right? That other God-informed big brothers watching voice inside of me that says, literally the thought you just thought was a sin. You just messed up by thinking that thought and feeling that feeling towards your sister who's a human being, a child of God, and you're supposed to love her and she's your sister and and you're supposed to let these things go. And so now I'm sitting there with this dissonance inside of me of shame from feeling the anger. And now I have to, whatever, regardless of what version of Christianity I'm in, I have to do some sort of reparation to let go of that sin. And in Catholicism, it's going to confession and I'll have to confess that to a priest in other Christian things. It's, you know, like you'll, you do it at the next church service or you have small group, you know, accountability things, or like you have to say it to an accountability partner, or you just like have to even just saying it to God at the next Sunday service or whatever. Like now there's something I have to do to make up for the sin of thinking an angry thought. And I also now have to do all this work to keep that anger at bay moving forward. Like I can't let that thought come back again and I can't feel that feeling. And so I have to just repress it down and tell myself that I, you know, I just have to let it go. Like, I can't think that I can't be angry about that. 
And here's where that becomes obviously harmful in that moment and as a pattern of behavior if this is a continual thing that happens throughout my entire development is what's happening. It's not even just the repression of the emotion, which in and of itself is a harmful thing, but why is repressing emotions harmful? It's harmful because we don't get the ability now to authentically process and explore why that emotion was showing up for us. And we have now an entire void of skills development. We have no way to develop skills around what to do with a wide range of human emotions that are completely normal as you're developing into a human person. And so you literally just get filled with feeling, shame shows up, push it down, bury the hatchet, pretend it never happened, moving forward, okay? And now nothing has changed. Now you have no skills development. You have no information. You weren't allowed to get curious about it. You weren't allowed to understand it or explore it in any way. And so now you're but just moving forward. Let me pause you. It, But you gave it to God. But like that energy was supposedly given to God. And this is why we're trying to point out that in theory, it's going to feel like you did something. This is why mm. we're trying to walk you okay. guys through this. Yes. Is that especially when you are like deep in this, this is why if you're looking back and you're you're deconstructing this, this is helpful for you to sit with for a second. Is that it's it will have felt like you did something and then nothing in the external actually was really shifting, okay? So think about it. If you just didn't say anything to your sibling and you just let it go, right? You never really understood how to navigate that emotion. You never really got through that emotion. And guess what? The implication of repressed emotion, nine times out of 10, is resentment. Resentment, okay? And so even that now is going to get thwarted and pushed down because the second you look at your sister and you say, oh, like, I'm so angry that you got a, you got away with wearing my shirt, but I didn't say anything because I was going to be the upper person, Right but they got away with it. And now you're like, yeah, but I kind of freaking still hate you. And like, but I can't hate you because that's also bad. Right. So it's just like repression begets repression. Like you're literally like whatever emotions coming from the repression is now going to have to also be repressed. And now right. you're getting pushed upon, uh, upon itself. And then it's like, it's, it's going to show up in more like, passive aggressive or insidious ways, right? Like you're gonna like deny various levels of warmth and intimacy with that sibling moving forward from as a result of that resentment, right? So like they might invite you to play a card game with them and you're just gonna be like, I don't wanna play cards with you. And like, you don't actually really have any good reason in that moment to not play cards with them. It's just this like pent up resentment inside of you that you're not allowed to explore that's literally creating this barrier of friendship and intimacy with this person because you never processed through the hurt and so this is very common in in a lot of families that aren't allowed to like allow the siblings to explore complex emotions together and like resolve issues in a healthy way this is super common is that like all these like weird and because like 
these are kids we're talking about. There's just all of these higher level thinking that's not there, but the emotion is still in their body and they literally don't know what to do with it. And so it all, it's just like, it comes up in all these weird, very complex ways. And that's why you get like adult siblings who get to adulthood that aren't close at all. And they like, don't know why. I know. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? They're just like, oh, I just like, like if you were to ask them, like, why don't you ever talk to your brother? It'd be like, I don't know. Like, it's just like, they're just like not close. I just like, He's kind of like annoying. And you're like, but like what? Like, can you tell me like what it really is? Like, why don't you get along? And it is like, don't know. Because these things are so like subconscious and like weirdly woven in in these like passive aggressive, resentful right. ways. So anyway, getting back to <laughs> getting back to uh, where we were, this is kind of like internal spiritual bypassing is is what we're talking about. And I feel like there was a random episode we did where we sort of talked about. We talked a little bit about Oh, you know what it was? I think it was the yeah. forgiveness episode where we talked about um, spiritual bypassing just a little bit because there's yeah. like various forms of it. There and was, this is yeah. one of the forms that we're talking about is kind of like when you do an internal spiritual bypass right. to where you use this external church or God or spirit like religious structure to kind of like release uh, an uh, emotion or a feeling or a hurt of some sort, but you do so in a way that's just sort of like rote and goes through some motions, but it doesn't actually get to the processing of that issue. And therefore it doesn't create any real skills moving forward for you to deal with anything similar to that happening again in the future. So what ends up happening is you just get into this like habit of not really exploring or understanding your emotions or your thoughts and all of, many of which by the way are just like normal parts of human development. Sure. There's nothing actually wrong with being mad at your sister for wearing your shirt without permission. Like what needed to happen, the healthier way to handle that situation, right, would have been to to realize that like the reason the anger showed up is because it's not just it's an injustice has occurred. Your property was violated. Somebody went into your closet, took something special to you wore it without permission. And is this a silly example? Is this the things of childhood? But the thing is, when you're developing, the the habits we create about small things build up into the way we handle big things. This is why it's so important. Like I'm a parent, Jamie's a parent. Like when I'm working with my own kids and like handling situations like this, this is why it's so important to make sure you are building those strong foundations because the little things turn into the big things. And so- this is this is a moment where what could have been developed skills wise, right, was conflict management, where the sibling whose shirt was stolen gets to validly express, I am extremely unhappy that you took something of mine without asking. And I, in the future, do not want you going in my closet without asking for permission. We need to have conversations about those things. You're not allowed to just take things from me, right? And then there should have been accountability, right? The sibling who took the shirt should have been held accountable for that action in some way, whatever it felt right to make it up. Like, can I can I do your laundry this week for you? Then like, I'll wash the shirt and I'll make sure that it, like it's taken care of or 
you know, God forbid they actually like stained it or whatever. Like, what can I do to replace the shirt? Whatever. Like there should have been some level of accountability for the sibling who did the wrongdoing. Right. And now they've both developed real information and skills moving forward with right. understanding how to treat each other better. Well, what I think is so funny about this example is that if you just talk to me about what this is like, but you take God out of it, that like creates a lot of intrinsic like skill sets that aren't anchored to anything outside of you. Okay. So when you were telling me like, oh, hold like, you know, hold them to some level of accountability, explain to them like what was unjust. Right. But if I said that that justness came from God and said, God was the one that said that's unjust and God will the one, God is the one that's going to hold you accountable. Right. Now that all of those skills took it outside of both parties like both parties are now like outside of that development and god is the one that's the one that's saying oh i'll tell you the reason why it's unjust and god is the one saying i'll tell you the way you would hold them accountable right versus if you were doing that work without god in the factor okay you're developing that skill set in a way that's like almost it's it's like non it's not it's it's more autonomous inside of who you are. Does that make sense? It's like literally anchored more into who you are. Anchored. Mm -hmm. And you're less having to rely on like, did God say this was just or not? Right? Like what, like, cause what if God says it's fine and I don't think it's fine. And that's where we're running into this, like in the adulthood, right? Because most of the time when you're talking about things that are like, oh, that's not fair. This is a fair, right? You could look at that as like, oh, well, you know, that's simpler when we talk to childhood conflicts, right? But when we talk about adult conflicts, now we're talking about people who are willfully allowed to, you know, kill each other because God said that's just, right? I'm sitting here and I'm like, well, what if what if I'm in that army and I'm like, I don't want to kill that person just because they don't agree with me. And someone says, God told you it was. So why are you going against God? It's like, Right. And I'm being a little extreme for a reason here. I like to speak in hyperboles because like literally most of the time we're never going to face that. We're never going to face that trial. But I'm I'm doing that in a way for you to see how extreme it can feel is that like when this is taken outside, the internal locus of control is taken outside and God is telling you what is just, what is right, who needs to be held accountable, who doesn't need to be held accountable. God, I mean, we're talking from the Catholic lens here. Talk about lack of accountability here. Uh, like if I think something needs to be held accountable, but then they go, well, they're servants of the church. What do you want to do? Do you want to take away our leadership? We need our leadership. I want to, I want to hold them to personal accountability. And then the church doesn't want to, because that's maybe not what God would want. Okay. Well, now I fully lost my ability to advocate for myself because now I, when I say that I don't agree with that, now I'm not agreeing with God, right? Right. And, this, and so now you're right. tapping into the next form of spiritual bypassing, which is on the other end of it, right? So like go back, going back to the t-shirt right. example, no, I know. there was the person whose shirt was taken and that was the internal spiritual bypassing, right? Where like they just kind of gave the anger to God and let it go because that's what they are told the Christian thing is to do. But then on the other end of it, if we were to give an example of what spiritual bypassing looks like for the perpetrator of a wrongdoing, it would be where this sibling 
you know, maybe it was found out when they came home from school and this older sibling, you know, the, the, the first one says to the parent, Hey, Sally wore my shirt to school today and it made me really mad. And I already talked to God about it. I already gave God my anger. Like I'm trying to let it go, but like, I just thought you should know that she took my shirt. Right. So then now the parent's going to go to Sally. And instead of working that out as a sibling conflict or an interpersonal conflict between the two, the parent in this religious system is going to say, you stole. That is breaking one of the commandments. That is a sin. And that is something you now need to confess to God because you just sinned with stealing. And so now this other kid is going to be like, oh, okay. And so then they're going to go to God, whether that's in Catholicism or whatever version, and they're going to make their own confession. They're going to give their sin to God and let go of it. And then they're going to get forgiven for the stealing. And then they, that's an example of the external spiritual bypassing. But what never happened was again, the accountability between the two humans that had an interpersonal conflict and therefore they never had a resolution. They never had accountability. They never gained any interpersonal skills of how to deal with those emotions and situations moving forward. But somehow or another, magically, both of them had this spiritual uh, bypassed forgiveness moment or whatever. And like now they both have a quote unquote clean slate. But again, that's not going to make up for what happened between them as real humans. And then they're still going to have those dissonances and resentments moving forward. But so now this is a small example, but this is what happens a lot of times with like, then you get into these like adult situations and and systemic issues within the church, which we will not go into a rabbit hole of, but it is, it is again, the small things become the big things. And so if in childhood you're allowed to bypass accountability by instead of like making it up to your sibling in some way and like treating them better, you get to just confess to God that you stole and then that gets forgiven, then that becomes your precedent and your default way of thinking about wrongdoings. And so then you may turn into an adult in leadership who does horrible things and then gets to just get forgiven directly from God and you get to bypass all of the human accountability. Well, I want to make sure we're not going to get at a million times or emailed a million times about this because there are absolutely faith systems. And if it's taught well, there are faith systems that are like, no, 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 it's both. And you absolutely have to go to God first. And, 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 and you do have to do that level of accountability. So I don't want, I don't want people to hear this and be like, that's not true in my faith, like we said in the first episode or the first ser- mm-hmm. episode of the series, is that it absolutely can be taught that way. We 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 love that there are fit systems that are like, no, that is absolutely one side of the coin, and the other side is making sure you sit down with your sibling and we do develop these skills and we do honor each other and we do develop respect and navigational skills. And the saddest part about this, guys, is that I wish. That was everybody's experience. I wish it was, but you want to know what? Humans like to cherry pick. And so whatever really works for them, guess what's going to be easier? Bypassing the emotional work and just going to God. 
That's going to be way freaking easier. So even if the faith system did say, hey, 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 this is actually part of our faith. Like you need to understand if the siblings or the parents that are teaching you this, or let's say even like the religious leaders that really don't see the need to bring in the personal accountability, if they're the ones teaching you this and they say, in theory, yes, this is what we teach. But when we actually practice this, you're never going to see us actually show up like this. What do you do? You take away with the like, path of least resistance and you go, well, okay, I guess I just kind of have to go to God. And like, in theory, yeah, like I can't really do anything about like hurting that person. So I'm not really going to do anything more than that. Okay. Well, this is why we're saying, like CA said in the first time, we say, where is the harm? There is the harm. There is the harm. The harm is you only going to the external source saying, God will forgive me. And then not sitting down with the person you hurt or being able to talk to the person you hurt on the other end and say, can we have a conversation? Can we build skills around this? Can we understand how this action hurt each other or how you hurt me or how I hurt you? However, it went down. Can we talk through this and develop a navigational system so we can better interact with each other in the future? When that piece, that critical piece is missing, absolutely traumatized systems can come out of that because what happens is then you feel like, well, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just like beating a dead horse. Maybe I'm just like, maybe I'm holding a grudge over them because I brought up the shirt. Maybe if I, maybe if I go back and I say, Hey, um, I know that you went to God about this and I went to God about this, but I really want to hold a conversation with you. But your entire family system sees that as weaponizing the information and says, why are you bringing this up? Are you trying to punish her? She already sought forgiveness about this, Jamie. Why are you making her feel more worse about this? That's not what you're doing. You're asking for processing time. You're asking for the ability to gain skills from an experience that caused you caused you to be upset. And like, I know that some people might be listening to this and be like, wow, a shirt being worn is a trauma. No, it's this is why these are small incidentals that form concepts behind that. Okay. So yes, through the shirt, that's a small incidental. That is not an immediate trauma, but guess what? You're taught every single time that you bypass your emotional experience and you're holding grudges or you're weaponizing truth, or you are beating a dead horse, or you're not allowing to someone to move on. You be being told that way when that shows up into your interpersonal dynamics or your intimate relationships in the future, guess what you don't get to do. You don't get to hold space for your pain. So your partner, let's say your partner, you find them in the same religious system. Your partner does something really messed up to you, okay? And your partner looks at you and says, I don't know why you're bringing this up. I already sought forgiveness from God about this. Why are you talking to me about this? And you're sitting there and you feel wrong about holding space or something that needs to be processed, pain that needs to be processed, information that needs to be gathered from that event from that disappointment or from that something fell through, you're missing information, vital information that's necessary for personal growth and interpersonal growth. So relational growth. And speaking to the personal growth part as well, I want to get into the next aspect of this, which is not only, not only talking about the parts where like there was something like bad that happened or wrong that happened and and we wanted to learn and grow from like a wound or like an interpersonal conflict. Now I want to talk about what happens when because you have this 
internal warring self or the voice of God in your head that's like constantly watching and monitoring. I want to talk about what happens when you have a thought or an emotion that's not, you know, what we would say in the realm of like the negative emotions, right? We're not talking about anger or rage or, you know, sadness or things like that. But what about when we have thoughts that are just exploratory and curiosity based about ourselves? Um, And even those we are not allowed to explore. So now we are, not only are we not developing skills on how to manage interpersonal situations, now we're creating a situation where we are not allowed to build skills around self-exploration and and self-growth in in so far as, yeah, like introspection, right? So like what's going on inside of us. So when I see somebody now let's get a little bit older i'm in high school okay and i see somebody wearing an outfit that like looks amazing and they just like look so good in this outfit and i have a mixture of like thoughts and feelings that happen when i see that and i might feel maybe even like jealous like i wish i had that outfit i might feel like a part of me might feel like attracted to that like oh i want to keep looking at this person because they're just really beautiful looking and I really like the way that they look. When I have like a mixture of various different just kind of curiosities and thoughts that come up, by this point, right, if I'm being raised in this system and you, this is why we talk, this is complex. It's built up over time, right? I'm now 16 years old who has spent uh, 16 years now being developed in a, in a, ideology that tells me that my internal thoughts are enemies, I now get filled with that same sense of shame of I'm having thoughts about this person. Like I, I might be attracted to them. I might, I, I don't even, I actually don't even know what it is. I just, I had thoughts pop up and I just don't trust it. I don't trust when I have thoughts and feelings because so far in my life, I have learned that God doesn't want me to have thoughts and feelings unless about that that particular topic, right? Like, okay, so this is what's difficult, right? And so like, I now don't even get to explore that. Maybe it wasn't sexual attraction. Maybe it was just like, I literally just liked her style and I wish I could look like that, right? But I start developing a sense of shame around any thoughts I have that are even remotely in this realm because I've, I'm now going to youth group and I'm being taught that, you know, any you're not thought, supposed to right. think anything sexual or lustful. It's the same thing. At, even just having a thought is the same thing as like literally having the sex action, with somebody. Right. If you thought and about so, the gender, right, then you mm-hmm. are absolutely on a slippery slope. Yeah, I'm and sorry, so, the same gender, the same gender. Yeah, or even the other gender, the right? Other because gender, you're not yeah. married, right? If yeah. unless you're married, you're not. Right. So it's like it doesn't even matter actually. Like when you're when you're a teenager, according to the church, any type of sexual thought at all is is forbidden, right? True. And so it's difficult in these situations because what ends up happening is, as I said, now the whole entire process just got shut down. So you didn't get the opportunity to explore a curiosity to better understand this part of yourself in an authentic way. 
you just had to shut it down. And so who knows how long it might go before you ever get to a place where maybe you are allowed to explore that. For some people, it's never. For other people, maybe at some point in adulthood, they can deconstruct enough to give themselves a little bit of wiggle room to think about things. And so this is the other side of that that kind of like internal monitoring system that's process that's like always it's like a program on a computer right like it's always on it's always watching and monitoring everything so not only do you feel shame if you have an emotion that's some sort of negative emotion now you get shame if you have just like a thought or a curiosity about some topic that's a, a forbidden topic in your religion and throughout all of this development what's happening is just like a real real lack of self knowing. This is why you get adults that get to adulthood and they they literally don't know themselves. They don't understand what they like, what they don't like, who they are because as a like this is a way that religious trauma can show up. It's not the only way and no, it's also not. not only a result of religious. It also can show up from other types 100%. of trauma. But yeah. one of the ways that religious trauma can show up is that you get to adulthood really uh, with an undeveloped sense of self. You don't, you, the, your religion didn't give you uh, a structure in which to explore and get to know yourself. And that is what I think is so interesting when you were saying, if you get to the point where you're realizing you're having a thought that isn't necessarily okay and you have to shut it down. My curiosity is like, how does that get shut down? Because when I think about the how, I immediately think of an all or nothing categorization of that thought, okay? Which means this is why it's so linked to self-exploration. Because if you think about it, if I don't categorize that thought and I don't immediately say it's good or bad, or I don't immediately say it's sexual or adoration or awe or you know admiration, if I don't allow myself to immediately like adopt what it is, I get more room to really develop that thought further, okay? But if I'm in a mentality where I said, oh my God, you had the thought, you immediately have to like kind of label that because if you don't, it's way too scary for you to like really sit with it too long because if you sit with it too long, you might actually like come to a new conclusion and that might be really, really bad and like we can't do that. So just immediately label it as bad and don't go back to it, okay? And when I say bad, what am I labeling it? I might even label it as sexual when it was actually just admiration. I was literally just admiring the beauty of the person in front of me that just happens to be the same gender as me. Okay, that's it. It wasn't actual sexual attraction. I literally was just watching her hair. I was like, wow, she's really beautiful hair. I really like that like outfit. She really looks put together. You know what? I didn't really allow myself to understand what that was. I just immediately got scared because immediately I lingered a little bit too long on her and my brain goes what if that was sexual attraction and what if that was this and what what happens if that and what if I open that door and oh my god what if I kiss her like oh my god oh my god I thought about kissing her like my brain immediately barrels out of control because there's this fear derivative like I was saying in the first episode of the series fear derivative thoughts are so powerful so what's our counter to fear is explorative explorative where we go wait a second wait a second wait a second <laughs> hold on it might not be sexual at all like hold on a second let me just sit with this thought a little bit and just understand 
Could it be sexual? And here's the tricky part in religious minds that have been having this similar upbringing, like we're talking about the rigidity of the upbringing. They aren't allowed that freedom because exploring that means they're entertaining it. It means they're entertaining the thought. So if I sat there and I said, sit with the thought for a second and just allow yourself to explore, is it actually sexual in nature at all? Is it like, I really love the outfit. I'm not really thinking anything about their sexual, you know, parts of who they are. I genuinely just see her as someone I look up to and someone I admire. Okay, that takes the ability to give yourself the space needed to explore. And when CA was just touching on right there, she goes, you get to adulthood and you realize, I don't even know I don't know what I, I don't even know my sexuality. Maybe I, maybe it was heteronormative straight. Maybe it was, maybe I wasn't straight. Maybe I don't get to ask those questions. I don't get to ask those questions. And I just, I'm just using sexuality for a second, but it could also be other parts of things. It could be like, maybe I don't want this job that's based in my, maybe my religion told me I have to have this certain job and maybe I don't want it. Is that selfish? I don't know. I can't be selfish. So I can't think about that. Right. Maybe I don't want this specific lifestyle that I chose for myself. Maybe I want to, you know, maybe I don't want to go to this church anymore. Maybe I want to explore something else. Okay, well, what happens is when that exploration gets shut down because it's anchored to, I don't know, salvation. What do you do? You throw it in an all or nothing. You say, oh, I can't leave my job because that means I'm a bad husband and that means I'm selfish and that means I'm this and then I can't be selfish and then I can't be, I have to be this. And then you're like, well, that's a bad thought. So I can't think about that, (laughs) right? Because what do I do, right? That's the other end of this, right? Nine times out of 10, when someone says, what's the point of self-exploration? They go, what am I gonna get on the other side? More questions, what's the point of that? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's like, we really need to, one of the things I want to touch on, like at this point, maybe is being sensitive to that traumatized brain, because it's incredibly, incredibly vulnerable, as we've said on this podcast before, like the traumatized mind is incredibly vulnerable. And so this is why, like, if you're listening and in your at some of these places. Like I want to just kind of like take a moment of gentleness here with you because if you have been deconstructing for a while and you've gotten to a point where like you've learned some of the benefits of self-exploration, this moment in this podcast might seem a little obvious, right? Like, well, of course, of course there's good things on the other side of self-exploration. But like if this is still brand new to you, this is going to be really scary to hear. And this is some of the parts that we were talking about in like that caveat at the very beginning of episode one of the series, which is like, if it's, if it's a lot, if it's too much, like be feeling free to take pauses if you need to. But if it feels difficult and yet valuable to like sit with the difficulty, like now's one of those moments to kind of speak to how difficult it can be to realize that most of who you are is 
something is like a conglomeration of things that you were told to be. And like, that's, that's really hard because as you are developing in systems like that, of course, you have to live in your body. And so your body does something to make it make sense. Right. And so like, there are parts of you that like, convince yourself to authentically try to embrace some of these ideologies and and beliefs and systems and things like that. And so there are these parts of you that are like, well, no, like, but it can't all be bad, right? Like, because no, I, I do feel better when I, you know, dress modestly or whatever, or like, you know, like, or, do or pray whatever. or whatever. And like, and so like, yeah. there are parts of you that are going to be attached to the identities that are a result of the religious ideology. And so to, to hear that you might have permission to deconstruct some of your identity and explore other parts of it sounds really scary because it's like, well, no, but like, I, what, I don't really, what if I don't want to do that? Like, what if I don't want to let go of this part of me that, you know, is a result of my religion. Like, and when you are convinced that this is an all or nothing situation, that's why it's scary. That's why it's scary is because your, your brain has gotten to a point now where it has forced an all or nothing. As Jamie was saying before, like you have to immediately label things. You have to immediately identify what is this? Is this good? Is this bad? Is this wrong? Is this right? Is this, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And so when that's your default way of seeing the world, any type of curiosity or exploration that might open up nuance is not only scary, in some cases, it's like elusive. Like it seems like something that's not real. Like how, I don't know how to do that. What are you, what are you talking about? Like, I, I don't like you're speaking another language to tell me that I might possibly be able to hold two truths at once. Right. Or to, to say that like, oh, for me, this is one thing, but for another person, it's another thing. Like, no, it has to be for all people. This is either right or this is wrong. Like there, there isn't the ability for my brain to understand. <laughs> so, okay. So I really just kind of wanted to, for a moment there, just like speak gently to that part because even there's still parts of me that like many years into my deconstruction like there are still parts of me that get a little bit like apprehensive when a particular topic comes up because some of this stuff is so deep rooted and allowing myself to even get curious about something is like there is an anxiety there there's an apprehension there Okay, well, especially is- if you well, okay, you go ahead. No, I'm, I'm not gonna. I was gonna take it in another direction, so okay. you stay with this. <laughs> well, the reason I think this is interesting is because like it's it's us giving ourselves permission to not immediately have an answer. Think about yes. that for a second, and this is where this goes so much bigger than religious trauma. But I do need to speak in the context of religious trauma because this is such something that CA and I both talked about, and like I said, me and CA are depending on how much CA wants to go into. I do share some of this as, as part of my story. Like when I started deconstructing, I immediately was like super intimidated with not having a defined answer when someone was saying, what do you mean you're not Catholic anymore? Then what are you? 
Okay, you don't believe in that, then what do you believe? You don't believe in this, then who are you now? And my brain would be like, because I didn't have an answer, it felt as though I was proving them right. Because I didn't have an answer on the other end, I didn't even want to share that I was exploring this because if they said, oh, so you're not Catholic anymore, so what are you? And I said, I'm not sure yet. And they're like, see, this is, this is exactly what happens. Like you, you become more lost without your, without God. Like you're, you're floundering. You don't have an answer. You're you what, right. They're like inserting my narrative over me and they're taking away my power. But I tell people the power isn't the unknown, that the truth of who I am right now was in years of floundering. And I had to flounder. I had to flounder and it wasn't pretty. If I ever wrote him one more, you'd be like, oh my God, who the hell is Jamie? Like the stuff that happened during my deconstruction was me floundering. The fact that CA saw me through that hard journey and that hard wilderness, she saw who I could become is a testament to the beauty of our friendship because there were times where I didn't like who I was showing up as. I didn't like what I was exploring to become. I didn't know who I was. So there would be times where I'm like, I'm trying to figure out if I want to be this. And CA'd so be like, all right, I'm walking you, I'm walking with you in this unknown. I'm walking with you in this journey. There's some, there's some darkness going on. And and I'm here with you in this. And you don't have to be one person or another, you don't have to say, oh, now I'm Protestant or, oh, now I'm, you know, atheist or now I'm this, now I'm that. You're okay, Jamie. You're safe to be in this unknown place in our friendship. Okay. Think about what happens internally though. I'm showing you guys through a relationship, but if we do this internally and we say, no, Jamie, you're not allowed to be in the unknown. You're not allowed to have not the answer when someone says, well, what happens when you die now? And you're like, I'm not sure yet, but I'm discovering what I understand to be true about my reality. I'm trying to get there. And if they come at you and say like, oh, we'll see, you're just lost as anyone. You're just a lost sheep now. No, that's their definition of my reality. That's their narrative. My narrative is through that journey, through that wilderness, I gained the most anchored, formed, grounded, and founded person that I've ever known. God, that is truth. That is my own divinity. That is my own truth right there. That is my own reality, okay? And that scares the crap out of people because they, they're like, wait, it has to be one or the other. You can't be this floating person exploring who you are you can't it's it like this is why I, I use sexuality a lot because it's such a binary in people's minds right like if I looked at you guys and I said nope like if you met me here I'd be like I'm a hundred percent straight that's who I am right and then all of a sudden I'm opening the door and I'm like wait I'm going to explore new aspects of my sexual energy. I'm going to explore newness of my sexual experience. And people are like, how did you go 20 some odd years saying you were straight? And then all of a sudden you're not? Well, it's because I'm not, I'm not binary in my sexuality. I'm not. Like I don't look at sexuality in a very rigid lens. I look at it in more probably what people would call a queer lens, but like I look at it 
through a lens of openness and navigation. And I'm allowed to navigate that energy. I'm the steerer of the ship. So when someone says, well, how can you be um, exploring, you know, that you're bisexual and then all of a sudden you're lesbian, like, which one are you, Jamie? You know, it's like a flavor of the week here, okay? Like, wh- which one are you? And I'm like, I'm allowed. I The audacity that I'm allowed. The audacity mm-hmm. that I'm allowed to navigate this. Seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be audacious. I mean, that's if if that's you know where where you're at, like take hold of the audacity of being a human being, and like literally, like you're not a robot, and you're not uh, an extension of other people's narratives. You don't have to be, I guess, is what we're saying. And so, yeah, I mean, using something that is like a binary is is a good example of how that can show up because it's like, it's easy to see it in, in a binary, right? Like, well, you were this one thing. So like, if you're not bad anymore, then you gotta be the other thing. Right. Um, and I, that is what I was saying a minute ago. Like that's what often happens in like religious mindsets is that it has to be either this thing or that thing. If something is, if, if something is evil or something is good, then there has to be an evil, like flip side to the coin of that right or you're either with us or against us that's another with thing us is or that against like, us are mm-hmm. you with us are you in this mentality and if you're not in this mentality you're immediately going to be categorized as against us when in reality you're like i might not be against you at all i just don't fully know what i'm allowing myself to be in that unknown like i'm truly trying to explore that and so this is where i want you to know how pivotal it is for you to stand in your narrative of the unknown. There is power there. And people are going to be like, oh, but it's going to sound like I'm wavering. It's going to sound like I'm indecisive. And it's going to sound like I don't know anything. And I'm going to be like, let it be known that you are to be in the unknown. Like, let them know you're in the unknown. Let them know that. Because that's going to make an um, um, that's going to make them uncomfortable comfortable. And then when you stand in your truth and you say, I'm allowed to be here in the unknown and they go, well, I'm going to categorize you as against us. Then they're telling on themselves. They're telling you that they have no room. They don't have room for that. That's why I want you to hear when we're talking about skills and strategies around some of the trauma, which we're going to eventually hit. This is what I want you to hear. I want you to hear how important it is standing near truth knowing that part of the unknown is part of the healing is part of the trauma healing is you saying how do i get through this mentality of that i have to be one or the other it is part of the healing of you saying i take back my power i define the narrative yeah i love that um honestly i think that that is probably the best skill to work on within yourself while you are in a deconstructing mindset is the ability to internally accept the unknown, like, and, and live in that space of we're just exploring. I'm just a human being thinking thoughts. Like I'm allowed to think thoughts and I'm allowed to not know all of the answers right away. So that, and then also to how that then externalizes like as you go on having conversations with other people and and that starts to get maybe criticized or right. or challenged in a way you know to be able to stay anchored in that 
that place of acceptance, right? Because it is still uncomfortable, even in yourself when you're having questions. Like, and for a long time, it is going to feel really like weird and uncomfortable to not have black and white answers to things. Over time, that's going to feel a little bit more familiar to you and you'll get more comfortable with that feeling. So, and the only way to get comfortable with it is to, it's like working out, right? Like it's a, it's a muscle that you have to exercise. And so we say like, if you're scared, do a scared, right? Like, and that's, this is one of those examples. It's like, it's going to feel uncomfortable and it's going to feel scary to, to look somebody back and be like, yeah, no, I actually don't have an answer to that question, but I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm just exploring and I'm thinking about things. And inside you're going to be screaming. You're going to be like, this is the scariest thing. Like, no, I'm supposed to have an answer. Like they hate me. They're judging me. Um, that's what's going to feel like inside for a minute, but over time, it's going to start to become you'll be more comfortable with curiosity and you'll be more comfortable with the unknown. Right. And I love that. And I think that's where we're going to be heading. Like, obviously, we'll probably share a little bit more of our stories a little bit more, but we are going to lead into skills and strategies. We are going to have a special guest host that is a surprise for you it will be coming up probably not next episode but probably pretty soon so keep yes, that in mind excited and for that. stay on this journey with us thank you for listening and we will see you on the next part bye thank you so much y'all for tuning in if anything we said resonated please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts this absolutely helps us grow and we really do value your voice on this podcast So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at the unlearned podcast or individual Instagrams at recollectedself and CAs is at embracing divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our Coffee Fiend Club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called Unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited. We are literally just shooting the breeze, having fun. You can see our full personalities and it is a blast. Honestly, it's pretty fun. So if you want to join us, you can find that at patreon.com slash unlearned. And that's it. The last thing I want to tell you is I want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become. And this is how we do the work.